Salutations and shit, folks. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to another episode of your favorite travel podcast, Travel and Shit, where I, your host, D. Carrie, have an experiential conversation about the nuanced ways that travel intersects with regular life. And if you are watching on uh, the YouTubes, as I mention every week that beautiful faces get to be seen, I've got a beautiful guest and she is making me miss hair. Adrian, welcome. Thank you for joining me. Please go right ahead and introduce yourself. Hi, everyone. My name is Adrian Waller. I'm also known as the Worldwide Educator, and I started living abroad when I was a kid, and it never really left me. I love everything education. I love everything Black. I love natural hair. I love the things that support people who look like me. Amen. So- Already one of the first questions I was going to ask, you said you lived abroad as a kid. What has been your experience with living abroad? uh, abroad? I am a born and bred New Yorker. I have never sadly lived outside of New York. And I couldn't even tell you where I would want to live, honestly, if I didn't live in New York. Um, But I never saw being ready to move. And a few years ago, baby, it's time. Like, I'm, I'm over the city. I always thought I would be a city girl. It went from never thinking I would leave the city and like live in Long Island. Never live in Long Island. It's mad dry out there. Sure enough, spent college and like five, six years after college in Long Island. And I do not have that experience of anything but New York. So please tell me what that was like and how did it color your, um, I guess your sense of new spaces and new opportunities that weren't home for you. So yeah, my mom had this great idea that we would move to Germany after the Berlin Wall fell. And so at five, she packed me up. Now, mind you, my mom is like, I think she's a rock star. She would never call herself that, but she really is. And she had just gotten married. I had not too long before turned five. And next thing you know, we're up in Germany. And I didn't realize how kind of like revolutionary that was, you know, in the late 80s. Like, Oh, wait, what? Um, Now I know, having done it. And so we lived in Germany for two years. Um, That conflict with the Berlin Wall actually went better than expected. My mom worked for the U.S. military, so she ended up coming back really, really soon. Um, Okay. But my mom also, like, we lived, I'm from Michigan, but my mom's from the D.C. area. I I had just mentioned that to you. So I've always thought of a bit of travel anyway. So like we were always on a road trip, whether it was driving to DC, seeing my dad's family in Texas. I remember my grandparents sponsored us to go to Disney world, but my parents said we ain't got plane tickets for four people. So we drove from Michigan down Uh to Orlando, you know, made a pit stop. So like travel's been kind of something that was just kind of ingrained in me very, very early. And I didn't realize living abroad had actually been seeped in there as well. Because when I lived abroad as a kid, we went, I went up the Eiffel Tower with my grandmother. I remember going over rickety bridges with my granddad to go to a castle and going to see the tulips in Amsterdam. So these are things I was exposed to five, six, and seven years old. And then got dumped back into America. And that was actually a reality check as a child. Mm. Like, oh, wait, this, this is different. Um, yeah. So that was kind of my initial. So then in college, I got a little taste again. And um, I'm sorry to pause you. When did you come back to the States? Like, how old were you during I that was seven. Time? I was seven when I came. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. You were, you were present. Like seven-year-olds kind of get that when you talk to other kids and you realize like, oh, I'm a little different. That's yeah. not the same. Like, not everybody has this. Okay. 
Yeah. And even coming back, because at first we came back and the military put us in like some temporary housing and the school I was at was super racist. So mm-hmm. like I not only came from like Germany is white, but then yeah. I came back to like white America, which is a different type of white. And it was a very jarring reality mm-hmm. of like racial discrimination. And then we moved to the Detroit area where I could actually live in the suburbs and be around black people. That was mm-hmm. like, like I amazing. Yeah. It's that's Detroit's the one whole thing vibe. that I got to say when I was there and I wasn't even there long. So in fairness to Detroit, I could be just feeling like the energy, but I loved it. And I was just like, oh, I could live here. I can't do that snow. I ain't going to do that. I ain't going to play myself. But it felt good. It felt good. Yeah. Detroit is definitely a vibe, particularly for like Mm -hmm. black professionals. There are a good number of people. Um, It's it's a vibe very similar to DC has that same kind of like young professional vibe. And I just love that. But there was this dichotomy when we first got back. Detroit area is very segregated. So it's in a really segregated area after living where like I was learning to make bread by my babysitter, you know, in Germany. And then I come back to like some real racist stuff. So that was a bit jarring. Fast forward in college, I moved to, I go to university of Michigan, go blue. Um, actually representing the colors right now. Hey, anyways. (laughs) Um, and I got this opportunity to do research. So it wasn't like a regular study abroad because study abroad, you're normally paying for the coursework and you're paying for everything. Okay. No, your sister was like, no, I'm going to have somebody else pay for me to go. They pay for the ticket, the housing. I got a stipend. Nice. I got to be published as, you know, part of some research. And that was just a really good experience. And it was the first time I've been in a country that was ran by people who look like me. And that oh, was really where was that? South Africa. Oh, nice. Now, what did you, what was your course of study? In college. So in undergrad, I studied sociology and organizational studies. Okay. Now, okay. Now, do you mind if I ask how old you are or at least when you went to college? Because I was (laughs) speaking to one of my past guests, um, Sojourner. Hey, girl. And I graduated from college in 2007. And I remember feeling like, mind you, I will say, personality plays a large role in this. And I am the least amount of work possible kind of girl. So when if I can find a way to do less to make something happen, I promise you, I will spend more time finding an easier way to do it than I'll actually spend doing something. It's just the way my brain works. But I did not feel as if I had, listening to her experience in terms of choosing majors and opportunities for traveling through schools, I did not feel like um, those opportunities existed for me. I felt like school was just, all right, you show up. This is the course of study I chose. So if I'm not going to change my major, then this is what you commit to. This is what you do. I just want to finish, get my little piece of paper and be done. But listening to all the options, oh, then there was this major and this major. I changed to this. And I'm like, the majors just sounded so nuanced in detail. Like there was opportunity and choice. And it could also just be the school also. So now this is something that I'm hyper aware of. So like whenever somebody mentions opportunities that they experienced in college. I'm wondering, was it uh, the time that I went to school? College was just college as what it is, or was it just me? No, I graduated before you, so. Okay. <laughs> um, no, I, I do think, to Michigan's credit, I do think that they're always, they are trying to always push the button on, you know, mm-hmm. what does education look like and things like that. That's one thing. Part of why, in transparency, and I love HBCU, so there's no this here. My mom went to Bowie State and she okay. took me to visit and she was like, hey, here's where I went. 
you want to consider it. But my mom's biggest thing is that when she was in college, she had to go to University of Maryland to get anything that was like extra. Mm-hmm. She's like, you know, I wanted to take certain courses. I had to go to University of Maryland. I wanted to do certain programs. I had to go to University of Maryland. She's like, now I'm really glad they had that partnership. She's like, but I didn't like the idea that I had to leave my campus to yep. go somewhere else. So like, as I was looking through where I was going to go, because I did apply to both HBCUs and, you know, PWIs, part of why I picked Michigan, beyond the fact that they sent me a videotape with James Earl Jones telling me he went there and how awesome it was. And I kind of was like, this is amazing. Um, it was the ability that I knew that I was not maybe a hundred percent sure on what I wanted to do. And they had so many majors that to Mm. pick from. Now I was like the second class of people to do organizational studies. So it was a very new, now it's a very commonplace thing. You see a Mm. lot of it in business schools and things like that. But for me, it was like the perfect intersection. And to your point, there was a lot of choice. Like we got to do this thing called picking a pathway. So like within Mm. your major, you had to outline like, there were all these courses you could take across. They was like cross disciplinary. So like there are some social classes, some anthro classes, some econ classes, all these classes in like different departments where normally you pick a major and all your classes are in that major. Organizational studies didn't have that same approach. It said, yeah, we have some classes, but you're going to benefit from being in um, the liberal arts college. You can pick through all of these, but they have to sing like a certain song. So you need to write how all of these are connected. So you wrote like, one to two sentences, which was called your pathway to say like what the purpose of all your coursework was. Mm. And then your advisor looked to make sure that the courses you pick matched along with that pathway that you were uh, talking about. And some of them were a little broad, like it could be like mine was much more of a sociology focus, but not all of my classes were in the sociology department. A lot were, which is why I was able to double major, but not mm. all of them were. So that was a really interesting experience, really early and like adulthood teaching about agency and, you know, picking and vocalizing what you want and need. So did you feel like you had to search that out or was it kind of spelled out for you and you just kind of had to make the decisions? Mm. In terms of the pathway part or finding organizational studies itself? A little bit of both, just knowing that that was an opportunity for you or that those were options for you. Did you feel like you had to, um, did it feel hidden or did it feel like, if someone didn't know that it was, oh, girl, well, well, how did you miss this? It was like part of the uh, fresh, what do you call that class when they tell y'all what college is, um, like that orientation? Or is it, you know, did you feel like it was something that was made very obvious to you? Or did you feel like, because now I'm, I'm thinking in terms of like, is it a personality thing, right? Because then, of course, it's the school. What does your school offer? Is it a big school or is it a small school? I went to a smaller school. I went to um, Adelphi is a private university up here and I went to smaller schools growing up. And so I know how it always benefited me for my teacher to know who I was. So that always played in my favor. So I'm like, Oh shit, well, I'm gonna just keep that train going. Like I'm, it's just a thing. It works in my favor. And I understood that as a kid. So I went to a smaller university so that I didn't have like those thousand student classes and because I'd never experienced that. I didn't know what that was. I knew what it was like to be able to raise my hand, be like, miss, I don't get this. Can we, we got to figure something out, explain that. So I knew small school was for me, but I'm thinking like, did it now, I don't want to say hinder, but did it not necessarily offer as many opportunities or is it that I just didn't look into enough opportunity? Because 
now we're at my age, I'm thinking the whole kids things and I have like my younger cousins and I would love to be able to say, this is where I dropped the ball. Don't do what I did. You have to actually look for these things. Or is it that, no, they're actually just handing it to you. How did I miss it? But now you shouldn't miss it. Yeah, I don't think it. De I definitely don't think it was a hundred percent handed. But one thing, another part of like picking my university is during like when you went up for like kind of like figuring stuff out. One of the first things that Michigan said is you can make a big school small. You can't make Ooh. a small school big. So that oh, that God. actually probably was a pivotal yeah decision maker for me. And so hearing that, and then my mom knowing, so I was very much the opposite. Like I was always that like. I'm going to go get it. Like I have friends who say to me now, Adrian, if you speak something out that you want it to happen, it's going to happen. Like right now, my next big goal is to be like, start doing keynote speaking. And oh, they're like, right. they're like, that's going to happen because you've decided it's going to happen. And you're going to be great decide. at it because you're easy to talk to. So <laughs> thank you. So um, to some degree, I do think some of it is just my personality, mm -hmm. but I also, because I knew it was a big school and I do, I, I, I thrive off of like connections from people, which is why I actually love doing podcasts because I love this like back and forth and I learn mm -hmm. about somebody new. They learn about me. It broadens my um, audience, all of that stuff. But I do like that people um, part. So like Michigan had a lot of programs. So I had an advisor who was like for minorities and then mm -hmm. I had like a regular advisor. I would meet with both of them. <laughs> I would meet with them every semester. And the one who was like for people of color I would just talk to and I was very real. The other one, I was like, make sure I graduate. Like, yeah. I'm not giving y'all no extra money. Make sure I graduate. The black one was like, okay, here's a real, here's where I struggle. Here's where I'm successful. What should I be doing? What have you heard about these courses? And I believe it was in being very transparent. Like I'm a very transparent person, like very authentic. Like what you getting is what my teachers get with me as an assistant principal. It's what my friends get with me. When I date somebody, this is what you get. This, yeah. is, this is it. So I was very transparent and real with her. And I think that she was like, hey, because she was in the know, right? They know the new majors that are popping up. That's what they have mm -hmm. to do. And mm -hmm. I was like, hey, I, I'm kind of thinking about this, but I kind of like this. She's like, well, this all sounds kind of similar to this. How about you check it out? Now, you do have to apply, even though you're already in the college. This is like a separate thing. You have to apply. And these are the courses you need to take. And there are three courses you needed to take as prereqs. And I was like, okay, let's try it out. She's like, and if, you know, if it doesn't work, you can still do some similar things to what they're doing, even if it's not within there. Like there's ways that even with sociology, we can kind of finesse it. So to some degree, I'm pretty sure she's the one who kind of talked to me about it. Okay. But it was me taking that initiative to like, go meet with an advisor on a regular basis. Like literally before classes, like they would send out the like, oh, you're going to be, we're backpacking classes. Once I backpack classes, I backpacked myself into her office and was like, okay, so is this the right class? Should yeah. I be taking this? And she was super cool and real that she would even say like, hey, don't take that class this semester. Take it this semester so you could take it with this person. Right. So very, yes, yes. very wanting to see us win, so. And I feel like that process that you were describing absolutely can have its uh, benefits to um, your travel experiences, like being able to advocate for yourself in that way to make sure that you are getting what is available to you in all of the ways that it can best serve you. I feel like that was easily going to be something that, uh, or at least a personal skill or a trait 
uh, personality trait, if you will, that will absolutely apply uh, in travel. So I know you had mentioned before I went down this rabbit hole about choosing majors that you had a research position that was a little bit different and they had done a lot of the funding and you had mentioned uh, the researching that you were doing. So, okay, we can go back to that if you don't mind. Yeah. So essentially now this one was well advertised. Like, so what I did is I joined this thing called undergraduate research opportunity program. And there's no way you become a student at university of Michigan and not hear about Europe, 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 Europe. So it was also like, you could do it as like, I think like a course or work study. I needed money. I did it for work study. And Mm -hmm. so, but then within Europe, they would advertise other things that you, you know, like other programs that were kind of in the same vein. So they started talking about minority international research training program, uh, which is what ended up sending me there. And I was like, oh, this is cool. I actually ended up applying twice. The first time they contacted me afterwards and they're like, hey, we really wanted you to get um, get this because I was a sophomore, they're like, but we just had a few strong candidates who are a little bit older and won't have another chance at it. Okay. Apply next year and we'll guarantee that you go. Oh, nice. Come on. And I was like, okay. Yeah, that's a good no. I could take that. It's a not right now. Yeah. I'll take it. So I applied the next year and got the South Africa one. I only applied Mm. to black ones. There was a Haiti one and a South Africa one. They had Japan. Girl, my mama just... Anyways, we'll rabbit hole down there. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <me too. laughs> um, those are the only two I applied to. So when I got South Africa, I was like, cool. Mm-hmm. So that was a very liberating experience for me in terms of like seeing a country of people. Also, it was so close. I think apartheid was only maybe 10 years like out. And mm-hmm. so the conversations you were having with people were very different than how you would talk about race in the US being so many years from, you know, the end of segregation. And it was a very open, it's like my roommate, cause you end up with a roommate, like we had a three bedroom, but it was only two of us. Your, me and my roommate would go places together and she was white. Cause it was the first year, you know, all that affirmative action stuff started. So she, you know, she yeah. was a part of it. Great person, great human being. Um, but me and her would do stuff together and we would- And she was South African? Mm, she was white American. From mm, American, okay. Mm, probably from Michigan too. I don't. Yeah. Anyway, she went to Michigan. She was just a regular white person. But we would get into cars and like taxis and they would ask us like, oh, why are you two hanging out? Like just Mm -hmm. bluntly, like, you know, like how'd you all become friends? Like how do you all know each other? Just because she was white and I was black. And so that fueled a lot of open discussion about like their journey with race, their understanding of it. And it just was really, really good for me as like I had just joined my sorority. So I was you know, off, like it was a lot of things I was kind of just deeply thinking about and questioning and thinking about like myself, like who I am, who do I want to be? Who do I want to be in the world? What else is out there in the world? So that was a really good experience. So those were the two experiences before I actually moved abroad as an educator that kind of got me really like, yes, I I do think I want to do this. Then I became a teacher and I was like, oh, I can't afford to go nowhere. I can't do nothing like, you know. Um, And then it got to a point where me and my mom actually started doing cruises. It was after my dad passed. It was like, I like, we're going to spend time together. So like, I would save up all year to go on this one cruise. Like Mm -hmm. that that, that was it. And and then after doing that once, then I heard about like teachers going and teaching in other countries. I was like, wait. You can do this somewhere else. Why didn't I think like, yeah, everybody yeah. needs like I didn't 
duh, but it didn't click. And so I started looking into it and I was like, oh, okay. Like, and the mm-hmm. girl I knew, she was like, well, I did it. And I, she's like, and I was able to save a lot of money and travel and like, you know, become a better teacher. I was like, and she's like, I had a better work-life balance. I was like, so where's the negative in this? Right. Like, I, I, I'm kind of confused. Um, and kind of on a whim, just like, just started applying, like, and just started telling people, oh, I'm going to move to the Middle East. They're like, what? Who are you? And I was, they're like, and then all my friends are going, yeah, that sounds about right. That sounds like something Adrian would do. Mm-hmm. And they're like, where? I was like, I don't know. I don't have a job yet. They're like, okay. And then right. I just kept with it. And then next thing you know, I was like, okay. You know how I said I was going to move to the Middle East? It really is happening. And now I know where I'm going. You know, I'm going to Qatar. And it just happened. And then I was like, I kind of did it. If I'm very honest, I was fed up with teaching in the United States, like fed up in the sense, like I was questioning whether I was meant to be an educator anymore. Like Mm -hmm. I had been part of the Chicago teachers union strike. And that was like very draining and really had me seeing how people view teachers in a negative way where I was like, Hmm. Okay. And then I moved back home and was at a charter school. I was like, this is the same nonsense I was dealing at the public schools. Like, okay. This is just what education is. I was like, maybe this isn't for me. And I was like, well, let me go try it for a year somewhere else. If it works, then maybe I am supposed to be a teacher. That was kind of my thing. Like everybody's like, well, what if you don't like it? I was like, if I if they can buy me a ticket there, I can buy myself a ticket back. Like that right. was always my theory. It's like, there's gotta be a plane that comes this way too. Like, you yeah. know, <laughs> so I was like, I'll try it out. I had a whole boyfriend, I had just met him. And I was like, look, if we're working, I'll just come back after a year. I said, let me just try this for a year. That ain't work out. But, uh, uh, that's okay. Everything don't seem to. So <laughs> yes. that's what works. That's what matters. So that's kind of like how I started being abroad. Next thing you know, like I was apply- I was able to get out of the classroom and not in a way like, oh, I hated being in the classroom, but I knew I wanted a new challenge, uh, mm-hmm. you know, some career development. And so I got out of the classroom, started doing professional development. And then it just kind of just kept growing. Every year, there's something new that I've experienced in the education sphere that I don't know if I would have experienced or even thought to do had mm-hmm. I stayed in the United States. And the biggest one is that first year, I got to 12 countries. I was like, yep. Mm-hmm. So almost every month, I was like. Right. <laughs> I'm going to use this time that I actually have off and go right. someplace. Right. So what was that initial process like for you so did you because i remember when i dabbled with the idea of it i initially considered because to me in my mind there were the two pathways to teaching abroad right there was the you teach online to the chinese kids and then the other one was you move abroad and teach to the chinese kids like it's generally china is the first place that comes to not to to mind but then there's also other places because like you said everybody need a motherfucking teacher but it was always the two and the only one that i actually applied for was the teaching um online i did apply to one of those classes and i remember it was during the pandemic because i was like what else i got to do so i ended up doing it and i was trying i did my little practice like one of my homegirls was making bank she was already a teacher here in the states but since they were virtual she was just like why do I need a side job where I leave my home? I could do a side job where I'm up before my kids are. I do the little lesson that's like three o'clock in the morning and then boom, we go on with the day. And, you know, I've already done my extra work and I don't have to go anywhere else. So I'm like, okay, girl, this I could be up at three again, 
middle of pandemic, I'm not going anywhere. So I tried, I did the, um, I think in-person interview, like the little virtual interview and then they hired me. So I was just like, okay. <laughs> so <clears throat> there are qu actually quite a few routes to kind of doing the teach abroad. Um, a lot of it really depends on like your experience and your qualifications, which route is going to be best for you. Mm -hmm. I was at that point, in my ninth year teaching when I started applying. So I had experience. I had a, te I had a teaching certificates in Chicago and in Michigan. You only really need one, but I had both of those active just because of timing. And so I went the route that like qualified teachers would go. Now there Got are it. routes if you're not a qualified teacher, if you're not a qualified teacher, but want to become a qualified teacher, there's like all these different ways that when I talk to clients, I kind of those are some of the things I learn about them is like, what are their long-term goals and what are their current credentials um, and mm -hmm. what, what money are they willing to spend towards that as well? So <clears throat> as a qualified teacher, you have probably the most options because you can do any of the things that non-qualified teachers could do, plus all the things that you could of do course. with your credentials. So as a qualified teacher, the there's still even a couple of routes you can apply directly to schools. So just start researching schools and apply directly to them or go through like a recruiting agency. And there's quite a few I have, um, I think I sent this to you as a link, but where you can find like all the different recruiters and all of that, like there's like probably 20 or so recruiters that you can use. Some have okay. specialties in certain regions of the world. <clears throat> so if you know you wanna go to a very particular area, one recruiter might be better than other. If you're like, I just want to go, then there's other recruiters that have like a much more global presence. So they're going to be able to get you mm -hmm. basically any country, you know, have schools that are in those areas. So those are kind of the two main ways as a qualified teacher. And then you go through your traditional interview process, um, some type of virtual interview. You know, it used to be Skype when I first started doing it, but, you know, now it's Zoom and Google Meets and Teams and that type of thing. You, you have your resume, your profile, all of that stuff. And then one misnomer is that most people think that you have to take care of your visas yourself. If a school is asking you to take care of your visa, run. Like that's like the biggest, like, like that school is not either established or something. Now there are probably a few exceptions by country, but I've never heard of a country in a school where as an educator, you have to work on your visa. Okay. Um, so that's like a, big one that people get worried about that hear about you need a visa which you do but your school will take care of most of that you'll just have to get paperwork mm -hmm. to them around like your degree and your teaching qualification so okay so when you got abroad you're there you said you ended up in Qatar mm -hmm. okay so what was that work-life balance like what was that experience that made you decide you know what this feels good I'm going to now travel with it what was that travel experience like once you got there and how did that look different than what it was like for you here in the states so one big difference was just the work day so we started at 7 a.m I'm a morning person so that was great and we were done at two okay right so by 2 30 I'm at home with a whole day you know in front of me so that was one part. Another part was every day we had what teachers call preps. We had about two a day plus like recess. So it was a lot of time where kids weren't. I think there were some days I had three as well. I know for sure I had at least two. So there's just a lot of time that I had to actually think and get like my mind around things before the day started. And I think we might have started at the teachers might have started at seven and the kids at seven thirty. But then that, at, on the other end is 
in your workday that one to two, because kids got off at one, from mm-hmm. one to two is when we did meetings. So instead of trying to cram it during your day, like you could leave your preps untouched and then just meet in that hour you were required to be at school anyway. So you could do parent meetings, that time meetings with your team, any anything that you needed really could get done because you had a whole hour to get it done. And so I didn't really have to take much home if I used my time at school wisely, you know? Mm-hmm. When I first got there, I was in the teacher's lounge, hanging out, chit-chatting, and then I was taking work home. And I was like, yeah, I'll, I didn't come here to take work home. Like, nope. I came here <laughs> to have a balance. So I just started like, kind of like, I'm not saying I never talked in the teacher's lounge, but I was like, look, I'm going to grind this stuff out. And unless I'm ahead of the game, yeah. I'm not really chit-chatting because when I go home, I can chit-chat with you there. Like, mm-hmm. But I could also do whatever else I want. I can you go could chit-chat ball. over a burger. Or right. over a, a nice drink. falafel or something. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, we ain't got to do it here. <laughs> right. So I just started working like that. And so now I had hours of time, you know, like, let's say I did, it took me even a while to get home. I got home at three o'clock. I'm home at three. Yeah. In the United States, kids are still looking at me at three o'clock, you know, mm-hmm. so I'm at home and able to like, oh, go run errands, go do this. I could go run errands and still be done by five with all my errands, right? And still then go do something else if I wanted to. And so that was just eye-opening to me. So there was a a balance. There was also an appreciation for my my intelligence and my, like, what I knew and who I was as an educator, which for my soul was really good. Like, Mm -hmm. it was very affirming because I was really questioning. I started, I was like, I must not be a good teacher because this is not working for me. What I knew, what I know now is what I needed as a teacher was time to reflect, time to think, and time to plan. And when given that, I actually do a really good job. But when I don't have that, yeah, I am actually a bad teacher. I'll say that. You know, like, that's not where I thrive. I need that time to kind of sit and organize things and put it together so that I can create a great experience for my students. But when given that, I do some awesome, I, I do some pretty hot shit. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> like, like you're like, that's a classroom you want to be in. And then I also had a teaching assistant who came and wow. helped me. And I was like, wait, so I have a teaching assistant. I have all these preps. I have this time after school. I have this time before school. I have a class of 16, 17 kids. So I'm not overwhelmed wow. with too many kids. Like there were so many things about it. Now the school I was at was a hot mess. Like, ooh, we, but where I saw they were a mess, I'm very organized. They weren't organized. So I just started stepping up and saying, well, let me organize this. Let me do this. You know, oh, here's what I put together for that. And that positioned me to be competitive for like leadership positions because Mm. they're like, oh, this girl is good. She's really Mm -hmm. investing in us. This makes us look better. You know, I started a PTO and, you know, I ran the book. um, What's that book thing? Where, where like they the come in book, book, drive, fair. book fair book fair there we go oh girl i should know that special heart oh, i love that <laughs> used to be my favorite time of the year when i tell you that's one of my own personal goals is to be able to sponsor a book fair so the babies don't have to t- to ask for no money and because my mama worked at my school my mom was a teacher and my mom was the kindergarten teacher at my elementary school and yeah horrible experience <laughs> it was terrible but i have a special place <laughs> in my heart for teachers. And I thought I wanted to be a teacher for the longest because my grandma was also a teacher. So it was like, this is it. Like my grandma, my mama, like, okay, I know where it is. I taught dance class. So I loved working with kids. So it was like, this is for me. My mother was like, "Hmm, maybe not. Um, You're (laughs) not likely to be able to do it the way you want to do it. 
because she knew that I'm great with kids, but it's like the lesson plans, the showing up for this meeting, doing this and, and feeling. And she, so I appreciate my mom for like put me on game because it. I, I don't know that I would have been very happy in the role the way that I know it happens here. But it was so clutch because the book fair for us at my elementary school was on the first floor and it ended at her door. So I got right up to that little desk and was like, hey, Miss Church or hey, Miss Malloy, whoever was at the desk, how much? Hold on one second. Knock my little hand on that door. Mama, I need um, $42.17. She'd be like, here's this 20. <laughs> and then I'd have to scale it back, but I definitely want to be able to sponsor a book fair so them babies can walk away with, they, with what they want or something and not have to, you know, worry about whether or not somebody has the funds to give them it's a, a book like a child should never be denied a book you know what I mean I, I just really really want to be able to do that at some point but you ran the PTO and the book fair please continue and, and you just in like created a duty schedule it's like I just kept doing yeah. things like I was like oh we need this template here you go like and then that afforded me what like really opened the door for me to get into leadership and so you know, I never looked back. I love leadership. Leadership was really what I think I was missing. Like when I was in mm -hmm. undergrad, like I was a speaker of the Black Student Union. I was in my sorority. I was a minority peer advisor. So like in high school, I was president of the medical academy and I was, you know, in the Black Awareness Club and National Honor Society. So that's always been me, like that leading. Like I, I remember when I walked out, because I was like a slow reader, I walked out of like reading support, like this is for stupid kids. I'm not doing this and walked out. Like, so very, very early, I yeah. was one to like fight for what I wanted, what I needed and to lead others. And I think it was a piece I was missing in education of why I was actually getting burnt out is I was actually mentally getting bored with mm. that thinking. And I needed the, I needed the problem solving of like dealing with people, figuring out like, oh, here are the organizational constraints. What do we do now? How can we make this go? But we have all of these things working against us. Like, I love that aspect, but doing it pairing with like what I believe is good pedagogy for students, what I know about special education and being a trained special education teacher, like mm -hmm. that, those things just really get me excited. So shout out to special ed, my grandma was special ed and my boyfriend's mom. Is also she was a special ed parish. She just retired. Yay, we're done. Uh, congrats. But um, so living abroad, you were able to travel abroad. What were those travel opportunities like for you? Where'd you go? What was that experience? My first trip was to the UAE, which wasn't far. So that was mm -hmm. another thing. Like just moving, you already got one country, you know, under your belt. And then mm -hmm. all the countries that are near you, you can now go at an affordable rate. The right. amount that I spent to get to Sri Lanka. Was, is what I would spend from Detroit to LA. So like that, that was like a, like, mm -hmm. how are these the same? And so like, I went to the UAE, Thailand. Then my mom came to visit me and we went back to the UAE cause she wanted to go. We went to Greece and to Italy. And then I went with some girlfriends to Sri Lanka. Then I went to Bahrain to go see a friend's friend performing in Bahrain. Um, I went to, where else did I go? I went to the, Nether oh, then I, I did some solo trips, which was okay. really empowering. And it's something I really encourage, um, particularly black women, but women in general to do is to like mm -hmm. 
feel the empowerment. And I, I do solo traveling different than most people do. So like, I am like a, I will stay in a hostel, not because I'm cheap, but actually I feel safer in that space because there are people who are kind of naturally looking at you and I am cheap. Let me not say that I am cheap, but that's not why I do hostels. But then they also give you really cheap things to do. Like they know that most people who are staying in a hostel don't want to spend a lot of money, but want to have good experiences. So the things that they recommend at the front desk are really budget friendly and good experiences. So I solo traveled to England and then went to, did this. I went on Groupon and got a Groupon because girl, I didn't know Groupon was in so many countries. So I got like England in a day for like half the price. And it was Mm -hmm. like a real half the price. Cause when I was on the bus, the girl who sat next to me was like, is that a Groupon? I was like, "Mm -hmm." (laughs) proud. She's like, oh man, I wish she's like, she's like, can I ask you how much you A little 80 to my 40 sis. Yes. And that's exactly, I paid a hundred, she paid 200. Yeah. And. She's like, she said that that was exactly what she said to me. We're on the same bus. I was like, yes. Mm-hmm. So I did England and got to go to Stonehenge. And that was just really nice. like amazing. Like wow. things you just kind of see on TV, yeah. cartoons replicate mm-hmm. to see it in person. Um, I did Madrid. And then from Madrid, I went to a city called Toledo. Cause like, I like to do like these like offshoot day trips to like really get the real culture, not just do the tourist thing. So I went there and that was really good. And then I also went to Amsterdam. But then when I was in Amsterdam, I took a train (laughs) over Mm -hmm. and went to Brussels, like literally like a day trip. First train in, one of the last trains out, Mm -hmm. you know, so I had like the time I didn't even need to get a hotel. I just stayed at my home, the same place I was in. So that right there, just that Europe one got me a bunch of countries in. And then you know, I just kept going places. Like the more you travel, the more like people are like, oh, like I didn't want to go to Sri Lanka, but these girls wanted to go to Sri Lanka. And I was like, well, I ain't got nobody to go with. So right. The chicken ain't that expensive from here. Let's go. Like if I'm gonna spend a hundred dollars, I spend a hundred dollars right. in Sri Lanka as opposed to on something stupid. Yeah. Yeah. So what so, was the, um, so do far, I don't know if it's, did they just have more time off? Cause I know you were done at like two o'clock, but so does like, was your vacation time just more extensive being overseas? Yeah. yeah so, um, I had a fall break. So a whole week off in the fall. Mm-hmm. And then th- those are good travel times cause it's off season as well. Then and I have, I'll just do my school schedule now. I have a fall break now. Mm-hmm. I had three weeks for Christmas time. Oh God. I'm talking to you now because I'm on another break. Nice. I have spring break, which has like an extra day or so added on to it. Plus the other little holidays that you get in there. So like very solid amounts of like real time off. Um, along with sometimes because you're an international school, they expect you to do international things. So like if you're applying for a conference, you're going out the, like, there's no, like, I'm not really probably doing the conference in Cayman. I'm doing the conference, like the conference I have coming up is in Guatemala. When you go visit a school to say, like, you're going to be a part of an accreditation team, that's technically the U.S., but it's Puerto Rico. And like, I go to Puerto Rico, like this time next week, I'll be sitting in Puerto Rico. So like, there's that, but there's also just like where you are proximity, like places that would have cost you more if you were leaving from the U.S. are now just more accessible to you. So things that like I was in Qatar and I was like, oh, we have a long weekend. What I can do with a long weekend already abroad is very different than what I can do on a long weekend in Detroit. So like we had a long weekend, we went to Turkey. 
We yeah. had another long weekend. I went to Oman. Like, you know, mm-hmm. like those yeah. are the things I could I drive was... to DC for a nice little long weekend. I could drive to Hartford for a cute little, you know, full day, come back Sunday. But here you are in like Istanbul or here you yes. are in like Budapest. You know what I mean? Yes. Just because you're right there. It just makes more sense. Your DC is like my DC is your Turkey. another country. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so where are you located now? I'm in the Cayman Islands. Okay, so do they have, uh, like, is there a summer? Because it's always summer. So, like, w- does that, <laughs> is that a thing for international schools? Like, yeah, there's still a summer break. And okay. so you still, ha- you still have wow. that. So, we so you still school. have, like, your at least two months, maybe three months off for the summer. But then, like, a three-week uh, Christmas break and a two-week, I am... She was in shock and awe. Wow. Yeah, it's not three. It's definitely not three months. And as an administrator, okay. mine is a little bit shorter. Teachers, mm-hmm. it's about like seven weeks. Administrators, it's five. And students, it, it is like a full two months for a student. Oof, um, that is beautiful. So mm-hmm. in terms of the opportunity to, because you mentioned if you're an international teacher, they want you to do international things. Where do you think the opportunity for teachers who decide to teach abroad really lies is it more in being the teacher or more so in like um where you are in administration i think it just depends on what you want i think that mm-hmm. either one is really the like when i was a teacher i love that as well you know what i mean like my friend was a counselor and a college counselor so she was going and visiting the colleges that were at international locations so like a lot of it's what you make it also the caliber of school like my first school was not going to be paying for me to go nowhere but like all the schools after that definitely were, you know, willing to invest. So when I was in China, you know, I had applied to go um, and take, uh, participate in the conference. I wasn't presenting. It was going to be in where was that? Vietnam. And it was like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, that, that, that's kind of what happens. Like, you know, you're part of these regional conferences and you participate and that's where we get good learning. And you also show off your school by me attending and go when they see a black woman who wears her right. hair natural who's at this school in China, it also opens to other people that that's a possibility for them, right? That Mm -hmm. like I become like a representation of like access and equity and things like that as well. Yeah, I'm familiar. I was that token black kid from my high school. So yeah, I I too was on every like high school shine. When I tell you I did all the, uh, the clubs, all the activities, I was homeroom rep, class president, um, like senior vice president. Like I did all the stuff in high school, but then I got to college and was like, I'm gonna show up. I'm tired of it. Like I, I gotten over that. So for me, that was like a, a shift, but you mentioned China. So what was China like? When were you in China? And, um, cause I know what, you know, conversation is coming next, but please <laughs> let's, let's, uh, let's tap dance on that one. So I got the bright idea to move to China in the great year of 2019. Our Lord's year, 2019. <laughs> hmm. Which it was amazing. I was like, yeah. this is great. I love it. I can't believe it. Look, my money goes so far. I can live off of $500 for a whole month. Like, wow. where, they do, where do they do China, that? Go yeah. figure. It's I didn't so know China was that expensive, uh, inexpensive. I don't know why yeah. I thought it was wild pricey. When you think of anything you bought that was cheap, where did it come from? I mean, yes, this is true. Absolutely correct. Point made. But But geographically, it's only a little bit smaller than the U.S. geographically. And it has quite a range of topography. Yeah, topography. I get where you're going. Thank Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Because all I did was Shanghai (laughs) for a day. And it was great. But 
And that's where I lived, actually. Okay. But you can, you can really, like, so I remember I would get breakfast for 72 cents, hmm. you know, like U.S. Like, you know, I'm doing the conversion, you know, five kwai. And so, you know, you're taking the train and that's 72 cents as well. So you can do a whole lot. And mind you, I just told you I ate breakfast, took the train. I could come back, go get dinner for five USD. And yeah. so you talking about that was $10. Right. Not even. Barely spent know? $10 in a day. <laughs> right. So you really wow. could live off of very little. And that was really rewarding because I was like, oh, I'm actually getting paid more. I have a better position and I'm not spending as much. So when you get so, paid, do you, I assume you're paid in American dollars. Does it go to like an American? No, how does that? Okay. So what does that, the payment look like when you're teaching abroad? So there are a few schools that will. There are okay. a few. So, but most of the time your contracts are going to be quoted in their money with a conversion. And so like you're converting it. And so you get paid into a local, typically there are, like I said, they, it's just like the U.S. Any rule you talk about is, well, if you're in this state, it's this. Got state, it. And yeah. So it's Regional kind of very similar. Matters. Yeah. Right. But for the most part, overwhelmingly, you're going to get paid in the local currency. Your contract's going to be coded in the local currency and you're going to have a local bank. Mm -hmm. Now, any good international school is going to have you either work with or recommend banks that have good international like relations. So fair very low transaction fees, if any, for like sending money. When I was in China, actually, you could actually, they would pay into a U.S. account. That was the only place to did okay. because it is quite difficult to get your money out of China if they don't do it for you. Okay. So I would, you could actually allocate each month what percentage you want. And so like I automatically right off the top had 30% just go straight into my U.S. account. And then, or thing ended up switching it because I was like, I got a bunch of money left over, so I switched yeah. it, but you could have so much routed there and then so much to your local account because you want to do business every day in that currency. You have to, right. that is one of the things you first adjust to is like, when I came to Cayman, it was the sticker shock of everything. Like, ooh, this stuff is expensive. But eventually you just accept that this is how much you should or shouldn't pay mm -hmm. here got for it. something. And even in Qatar, it was the same. It was like certain stuff was really expensive, but the other things were really cheap. So yeah. I remember eating real well over there. I was just like, it's only like 30 US dollars. I had like rack of lamb. I had like, when I tell you, and it was, and it was room service food. So I always expect room service food to cost more, but I think I spent like $30, $35 and, and it was an extensive platter. And that's good too. It was real good. But oof. lamb out there and like, I didn't realize how food, like the same food, even if you're at like the local dusty place, like not even yes. room service, but like, it's just like, so much better. Yep. It's so much better. And then certain things are better in certain places. Like Pressure. feta cheese in uh, Greece mm. was a whole new love. I, like, I didn't know feta. Like, I love feta, but I like feta cheese in Greece way more than I like feta cheese anywhere else in the world. I'm a cheese girl. And I thought my world was rocked in Vermont. But now you've got me really wanting to do like international cheese. And when I tell you my boyfriend is... um he and his family are, well, they're mixed. Well, he's mixed. So it's, it just makes sense that they've just got more cultural diversity in their home in terms of food. Like both my parents are black. So we just did American shit. We did nigga food. You know what I mean? So it was just like, I, I like so many things I just didn't know about. And I'm not a picky eater, but I know that we, like, I just don't know what a lot of stuff is. So it's like, we'll look at a menu and I, 
always just be like, babe, what do I want? Just because he has a really good gauge of my palette. And so it'll be, he'll be like, mm, maybe not this one. You're going to like this. Maybe ask him to do the sauce on the side because I know you really not a big fan of this. Or in general, this kind of spice level is going to be past your, thres your threshold. Let's not do this. Like I always ask. Is this an ethnic spice or is this like American spice? That's my question when I go to restaurants, when I ask about, because I love wings. I'm a beer and wings girl. So I will eyeball to eyeball with the server like, baby, ethnic or American? Where, where's the Colville? Like, where are we at? And they'll always, and that's a good gauge for me. So I know whether or not give me the mild or give me like the medium. But he has a better idea of what everything is. And I just know I'll try it, but I don't know what it is. Or I won't remember that I've had it before, whatever. So you have absolutely now, because I think what we're doing in Mexico the end of next month. And now in my head, I'm like, uh, I got to really plan something around cheese now. Like, I really want to go like on a mini cheese tour because that's something that I really enjoy. But I know I'll forget what something is. He'll know what kinds of cheeses I like and, you know, whichever ones I've tried, didn't like and all that other jazz. But baby, we going on a cheese tour now. It's happening. Yeah, uh, especially there's all these different uh, types of quesos when you go there. So, you know, checking out that. Um it is amazing. But yeah, cheese and grease was a whole different. I mean, feta cheese and grease was really different. Just like lamb in the Middle East to mm -hmm. me is really different. There's just these things that just taste better. The place that is like we do this, like yeah. if you go where to, it's kind of like when you go to a steakhouse and you see your friend order fish, you're like, girl, why? We at a steakhouse. How do you, you trust get that? Steak. <laughs> yeah. I always ask what the special is. Just give me yeah. your spec. When I travel, that's one of the things that I learned. I've had some real wild looking plates. Um, I think the first one was Spain. I stayed like an hour outside of Barcelona. And I, poquito espanol, muy poquito. And so I was like, I know what certain, like, I know what piso, um, like I can figure out like, um, Piso is actually floor, but like I can fit. I, I was thinking that I was like, um, my Duolingo taught me that. <laughs> Thank you for not calling me out. <laughs> so piso is floor, but what I know, um, pescado is that fish? Pescado, yes. I think fish is. Mm -hmm. There we go. Yes. So I'm like, okay, and I know. pollo is chicken because yep. like, ding, I got Those that this two. morning. And carne is beef. So I'm like, mm -hmm. I know what I know what uh, category this is, what I'm getting. But then it was like the little things. So certain words I was able to pull together. But then when they started adding, like, well, this is in it, that's in it, I said, baby, what is your special? What are you good at? Just make me that. Because to your point, I never want to go someplace and ask for something that you're not used to making. I don't want to ask for something that is not local to here or natural here because I want the freshest that you got and I want the best prepared thing that you can make because I'm not trying to be sick, especially when I did a lot of my solo traveling. The last thing I wanted to do is be sick by myself and then have the language barrier because this little... This little cosmetic bag only has Motrin, my dog, like ibuprofen. Benadryl ain't gonna fix this. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> it, it wasn't for everything. So that's one of the things that I always made sure to just ask: What is your special? What do you do here? What are you good at? Same thing with um, where was that place? Some place in Europe, not uh, Amsterdam, Austria. Mm -hmm. I don't remember what it was I ate, but I just asked for the special. And what's like? What do the most people get here. Give me that. It's going to be safe. It's going to be safe. 
I think that's a great advice because I've had some, again, to your point, some of the best. And that's actually when I love the feta even more is that in mm. Greece, they have this dish where it's feta in like a little skillet and then they put honey on top of the feta, Ooh. which I never would have thought to pair. And then they put- We do honey sesame. in there. Yeah. And then they put, I mean, now I know, but at the time I was like, I don't know about this. Then they put sesame, toasted sesame seeds on top. Honey, when I tell you, that is one of the best dishes that has hit this mouth in my life. <laughs> okay, medical noting. We're going to try that. And it has some special name, and it's like a very well-known dish yeah. in Greece. And it was that one. And so, like, to your point, I do think trying the dish that people are really, really known for not only just expands your mind, because I feel like you can also learn a lot of history. Like, if you mm -hmm. actually talk to them about, like, the Why history of the, the dish, yeah, there's generally something around colonialism, mm. development of country, work life, what was happening. Because a lot of those dishes go really far back. And so like you can also a lot of times get a little insight to the country and the culture by finding out their popular dishes. I like that. And I feel like um, servers are always my favorite people to just chop shit with, just kind of talk to, because they will tell you different places to try, places to avoid. And they part of their job is talking to you. So it's like they have to be at this table for a good 10 seconds, 30 seconds anyway. So it's like, I have your attention. Why not ask? People like talking about themselves. What do you do over here? What do you like? What would you recommend? And I've gotten some of the most incredible, just like real down to earth recommendations. I've made friends that way. Like servers are my favorite people to always kind of like, they're, they're my favorite. I, I love asking servers questions. The other bartenders, that I, all of it. I, yeah, bartenders, servers, all of that. The other ones I like are if you've ever gone to Europe and done the free walking tours, because there's quite yeah. a bit. Yeah, those people, I wait till all the other people leave and you yep. make sure you actually pay them a good, because it's free, it but up. it ain't really free. Like, right. So if you sign up for a free walking tour, don't think you're not paying. You're bringing money, but it's meant to be a tip. And so bring at least $25 is my recommendation. Where okay. You're going. But, but afterwards, hang around, chop it up. They are some really authentic yeah. people because those tours are always very real. They're like, yeah, so we not walk in there because that's a waste of time. And that's mm -hmm. like, but afterwards, they're like, that's how I, um, when I was in Amsterdam, they had recommended this boat tour because, you know, they have all those, all the water and stuff. Yeah. They're like, but this boat is called them damn boat guys. And so, but damn spelled like damn. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, Dude. and so it was just, it would, but it, they're like, it's BYOB. So I was like, check. Uh -huh. I don't have to pay you for that. It was really authentic. It was very much like when they're called them damn boat guys, it's kind of like traveling shit. Like yep. that's going to be the vibe you, you get. get what time <laughs> we on. Yeah. Yes. And it was just like that, but it was super cool. Like I didn't want a stuffy tour. I yep. wanted something like that. And I probably wouldn't have found them had I not just been having a real conversation with the free tour. You know? Yeah. So back to China in COVID. So when, uh, when 2019 did you get, I assume, you know, towards the end, did you get to have a nice time in China before it wasn't a nice time in China? Girl, I had, I had all of the fun. Like I was Beautiful. going to brunch. I started a little event series. I had made nice. friends, like the black people knew who I was and I was new. Like, you know, like I was like, yeah, like literally I got to China on like a Tuesday and by Sunday, I was at brunch with my sorority sisters. Like, it was that Beautiful. kind of vibe. Beautiful. It was like, yes, let's go. 
Okay, so what was your COVID experience like in China? I know did did they have that zero COVID policy from jump or was it and then also it was known to be problematic in China before we heard about it here in the States. So what was that what was that experience like for you? So for me it was real interesting because I actually got trapped out of China while still working in China because of all of their rules. So before I left China, I remember it was a lot of people sick. Of course, nobody knew, and yeah. but they already kind of already deal with the flu quite a bit. So, like I remember, as an administrator, and actually everybody got this. You would get the attendance list, mm -hmm. and the attendance list would also tell you if anybody was in quarantine. And I remember the first day I saw quarantine, I was like, quarantine? What's this mean? And so, like they would have classes isolating just from the flu, and then they would keep the windows open because they. It was so crazy because I didn't know about COVID at the time, right? But now I hear when all was of this? it. 2019. No, but I mean, like, what time of year? This was like January, this was like, March, first quarter, last This was quarter. like December, like December 2019 okay. the end into of the year. January, yeah, Got 2020. It. And so, but this was just like their practice. You could have gone okay. and if there was a lot, it, it didn't matter the month. If, you, if there were too many kids who were catching the flu, they would put that class on quarantine. And so they would have to play outside at a different time. They had to use the bathroom at a different time. They had it, Interesting. more strict, um, like cleaning processes, like that room got cleaned, that bathroom okay. got cleaned. Just from the flu. After, yeah, just from the flu. Beautiful. Okay. But, you know, they have dealt with SARS and mm -hmm. these are all in the same family. So that right. was already procedure. But I remember somebody being like, this feels like more people than normal. And I was like, mm. you know, I didn't know it was my first yeah. time there. I was like, I mean, it seemed like a lot just because you've got two classrooms that are on quarantine. Like, that's just weird. Um, and you already wore masks and things a lot because of the air quality. So like, okay. there are certain things that were already kind of a part of their normal mm -hmm. that lended itself to like what became a reality check and a shock for like the rest of the world. Those, some of those things were like typical Tuesdays in China. Yeah. So when I left, I remember being on the train because we were on Chinese New Year. And this is really how the world to me really got it, is that Chinese New Year happened a few months after got it. That makes the first sense. case. Like, makes sense. So this has been my theory. Now, I ain't no scientist, so y'all take this with a pound of salt. <laughs> so you have Chinese New Year happening. And you have expats who are not just traveling to like, like China, a lot of them are tra traveling within China into like neighboring countries, Vietnam, Korea, mm -hmm. Japan, other places that celebrate the Lunar New Year um, and who are also off for a considerable amount of time because this is a big deal. But then expats who are there and wanting to go all types of places. So yeah. I was in Australia, you know, um, and people were going all types of places. I really think this is how it really so quickly got all around the world and wasn't yeah. because I think had it even happened, had the outbreak really happened like a few weeks after Chinese New Year, it actually, I don't think would have been a global thing. Yeah. But it many people traveling, coming in and out for celebrations, seeing family, seeing friends, just coming to China to see, coming to mm -hmm. like, that would be an incredible freaking experience. Can you, well, I, I'm thinking like just Lunar New Year in actual China, like Chinatown right. down here be bustling. They'd be having a good ass time. So it's like, imagine that in the motherland for them. Come on. Right. So you have all of that happening. So Damn. I'm in uh, Australia visiting my cousin. And I was like, I remember my cousin's like, you see this? I was like, she's like, you going back? I'm like, well, 
eventually. And now in my mind, because I'm all in all these chats, some of the people have been there when the SARS outbreak happened. Okay. And so I'm thinking it's going to be like SARS. Oh, it'll be on shutdown because they like <clears throat> my flight back to China actually got canceled. So that's actually part of how it got trapped out is like air, airlines are like, yeah, nope, we yeah. not flying there. You nope. Um, there were still a couple. So like my friend who I was traveling with rerouted and went back. So she's still in China. But I was like, mm, if airlines are telling me they're not going, maybe, maybe I shouldn't go. Yeah. So then I, um, cause we still traveled to the Philippines and I still, I will never forget that after leaving Australia and landing in the Philippines. And when you get, uh, in your passport, when you've been to China as a, like, as a visa, it's a whole page. Yeah. And there's no way you don't know yeah. that you was in China. And I remember the people looking at my passport, mm -hmm. you know, looking at me like I'm crazy. And I'm like, no, I've been gone for more than 14 days. And, mm -hmm. you know, all of the things at that at that point have been like 21 days or something like that. And so when I was leaving, I actually went back to Qatar. But now I'm trying to get back. I'm like, OK, actually, China's kind of calming down because they had a lot of rules and restrictions where you couldn't go anywhere and you couldn't all the things I was like, let me get back there. Cause the rest of the world, this is starting to look crazy. So I'm trying to get back to China, but China still has these like, not China, but like airlines, like now you can't transit through. So like okay. you couldn't transit through um, Thailand unless you had a negative COVID test within a certain amount of time, but COVID tests weren't rapid at that time. Like they weren't a whole bunch of them. So I was in Qatar, but Qatar's like, do you have COVID? Do you think you have it? We're not wasting a test on you traveler who don't, who's not even a resident here anymore okay. to take a test. So I basically would have had to like be like, yeah, I think I do. Can I get, you know, like just to right. get some results. Um, and then you had to have a hundred thousand dollars worth of travel insurance that would cover you for I having COVID. Yeah. So I tried I had, at one point had three tickets trying to get back to China and couldn't take any of them. Damn. Yeah, it was just whether it was like, we're not doing transit, we're not doing, it was just each country had a different set of rules. And I ended up by time, like, I was like, okay, I think I figured out a solution. China closed the borders and Shit. like was like, if you're not Chinese, you're not getting in. We're not right. taking people. Like, And so my job ended up letting me go. And that was a pretty devastating thing because you, you heard how I was talking about my life. I was like, oh, I'm yeah. living. Like, this Damn. is great. That was a hard one, mind you, at the same time, like I'm still working in China though. So like they just canceled my job for the next year. So I'm waking up at like five o'clock in the morning to work every morning to deal with my teachers talking about the Adrian, how is this happening? What is the rule for this? And like having to help plan like safety protocols and, you know, figuring out, okay, yes, if the teachers enter this way, they can go through this camera that'll take a picture of their temperature wow. as they're walking through. Like, so <clears throat> I knew a lot about what the restrictions were. Like you had to have a negative COVID test. You had to take so many COVID tests. So often you had to get a QR code that verified that you hadn't traveled anywhere and everywhere okay. you were entering, exiting, you're showing um, QR codes, but I'm doing all this from, you know, Qatar. Cause I couldn't literally couldn't get back into China. Mm. It wasn't until I think end of 20. 22 that they just like lifted yeah, like people being borders. able to travel mm -hmm, opening the borders and they did that like early like it was in march of 2020 that they did that so how did you get your stuff girl i had to have it packed up by somebody on video like that was 
it's like moments like that. Like, I don't like to use like, you know, I feel like everybody's like, I was traumatized. But like, I didn't realize until like later when I was getting over the trauma of how I lost my job, how everything was just kind of, it, it felt like everything just got ripped from me. You yeah. know what I mean? And ended up in Kuwait after that. And I was like, oh yeah, I shouldn't have done that. But like, I'm on video chat, like, oh yeah, I want this. Can you send this first so I can get it quickly? And it was like, to make it affordable, I had to get everything by boat which took like three months to get the stuff. Yeah. And it was just like, it was devastating. You know, like I had literally gone from a high of like, they, my work had paid for me to do recruitment in Thailand. And while I was there, I got recruited to be on this like international women's like, you know, thing. It was like a selective group of women. And to go from that to a month later, finding out like the whole world was upside down to a few months later, losing my job. And mind you, an international, if you're an edu international educator, if I'm looking for a job now, I'm late now. Okay. And this yeah. is, we're recording in February. I didn't lose my job till June. So, and I'm looking for a job as an administrator. As an administrator, they start posting some administrator jobs more than a year before the next school wow. year. So like the August before the next school year, they're already posting. Like I knew people who as administrators in September knew where they were going for the next year. Wow. And I'm trying to look for a job during COVID in June. It just was. With that Chinese visa. Yeah. <laughs> in your passport. So they just like, is it worth it even? Should yeah. we risk it? Even if you've had that much time passed, I can still imagine that being a little uh, taboo for some people to want to kind of tap dance with that just because a lot of things we didn't know in the beginning yeah. of COVID. Yeah. My God. So did you, when you said you still had to work, did you end up having, did you know that you weren't being renewed the next year and then still had to work through the contract or did they let you go in June? And that was just like the end of the school year. And it was just like, Hey, thanks, but no thanks further. Yeah. It was like, Oh yeah, you're not, Oh, they, took our bonus. So like anybody who hmm. wasn't there, like normally you get like a month pay of bonus. I got like $500. Uh, that's an astronomical difference. Um, hmm. They told you in June and then it was just like, oh yeah, so you're not coming back next year. And I'm like, it would have been not like, if you're going to let me go, I wish you had let me go when the pet like, cause there were like waves. So there were like three waves. There were waves of people who were like, I had people who got let go we found out about COVID end of January. They was gone by like in February. It was wow. like, all right. <clears throat> so that happened. And to some degree, I'm very happy that that didn't happen. There are some people who like, they're like, yeah, you can work to the end of this year, but we're not going to fool around with this. You're not coming back. Mm -hmm. um, and then there were a set of schools who did my, what my school did is I think they were holding out to see if they could get us back. Now, had they waited another month to let us like to let us go, they actually would have found out that they could have started to get us back by like through a special visa request and all of these things, okay. but it was possible. But they, once they let us go, it was like, yep. Yeah, we sorry. don't have to worry about it anymore. We'll just hire somebody internally. We'll just keep it in house since we don't have to worry about all that navigating special visas, the extra testing. It's just like, oh, I can test you. You're here right now. Yeah. I'm sorry about that. That really fucking blows, man. But yeah. before we end up here for three hours, uh, what was, I know you ended up paying a lot of debt off in this experience of traveling abroad. I definitely wanted to touch on that. What, how did you make that happen and how much did you pay? So 
altogether it was about $20,000. Now that includes like student loans. So I cleared all of my student loans. I owed some money to, I had credit cards that I owed a little bit of money. Like it was all these little things. Um, and so a lot of it, I started that first year when I was traveling to 12 countries. And I remember my mom going, you need to sit down. Like you don't need to be going to all these places. You need to be there uh -huh. for, yeah, for the, you know, to get your money together. Times myself. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, Ma, I can't, I, there was no way I was going to, when I first moved to Qatar, be able to survive and not travel. Like traveling is what was making it worth it to me. Like, mm -hmm. you know, like being able to know, mm, in this next break, I'm going to go to Greece and Italy with my mama. Oh, this next break, I'm going to go to Sri Lanka and go to a tea plantation and ride an elephant, which now I don't condone. Like, I know that's all bad for elephants. Girl, same. I, my experience, I, and I was just like, I get why this is not a thing we should do this don't yep. feel good um, it does not it, it mm -hmm. does not but i was like i'm, I'm doing it uh, mm. like yeah you know to say like i went to thailand and you know like rode a tuk tuk like that made all the drama all the like stuff at work worth it but i was also still like slowly saving so like okay. because your housing is covered often your transportation is covered or really cheap and eating is like a kind of lower cost, you really don't have that much you're really spending your money on every month. Right. So let's let's even say you're getting paid on the low end 3,500, you know, a month. That, and that's actually kind of a lower amount. What are you spending that really on? Let's even say you spend a thousand dollars on all of the other things. You still have this good amount of money that's left. So then, like I said, I would travel. I would still go to brunches and the brunches were like $100 brunches, but I didn't care. You know, I would do mm -hmm. that. Um, but that was $100 out of a month. Like, cause I didn't, I wasn't going right. every, some people went every week. I was like, yeah, I ain't the every week person. I got a hundred, but not 400. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm cool with, I'll see y'all this Sunday. Not this yeah. Sunday. <laughs> so you still have a good amount that even mm -hmm. if like by the time you pay for groceries and all of that stuff that you can set aside. So I was like, well, I committed to myself to about a thousand dollars a month was going to go towards those type of things, right? Wow. So you think about a thousand dollars a month, three three years, that's thirty six thousand dollars of things that I can clear. So I didn't use thirty six thousand dollars; I paid off about twenty, <laughs> right? Because that's what I I needed. But I even contacted my student loan company. I said I want. I knew I wanted to be done with my student loans by the time my contract was over. Yeah. So I was like. How much do I have to pay? Because I didn't understand all the amateurization and all of that yeah, stuff. Y'all figure it out and put it in writing for me. Because that was the other thing. I was like, you can write this down. And yep. this is what. So when it, I may not understand this, but, but <laughs> baby, I do understand some things. Yes. You could write that. Type that up. Thank yeah. you. So they gave me a whole thing about like if I did, I think it was like $436 a month, I would be able to pay it off by the day I wanted. So I just sent them a smooth $500 wow. every month. Okay. And ended up, I remember paying that off. And then I, at the same time, I did the same thing for my car. I contacted my car, like, how much do I need to pay every month? Paid that off first, then paid off all my student loan. I think the very first thing I actually did was my credit cards because those weren't high. Those are like $2,000. So like, I kind of like put a little to all the other things. Like I kept whatever I was doing in the U.S. for one thing and then was like he heavy on one. So like, okay, let me spend $500 a month on these credit cards that was like like i said like two maybe three thousand dollars paid those off in just a few months okay well i was spending 500 there 
let's shift that to this. Yeah. Pay that off. Shift that. And, you know, like, and still, like, I was like, okay, at the end of the month, I still have a little bit extra. Sometimes I would send a little bit extra to pay something also. Mm-hmm. And I tell people in three years, I went to 20 countries and paid off $20,000 a day, you know? Like, wow. So. Wow. So while living abroad, how do your bills that you acquired back in the States, like, work? Like, I assume they still want their money on whatever they day. Surely, they yeah. surely do. Getting getting paid in doubloons, but they want those dollars on yes. the day that they mailed. <laughs> they said 13. So one thing, one thing that was really helpful living abroad is most places abroad, I don't know too many schools that don't, they pay monthly. And okay. I didn't realize that that actually helped me be a better budgeter okay. because I was like, oh, cause like every two weeks you can't pay all, like you can't pay everything off in two weeks and then still live them two weeks. So you have to kind of like, oh, I'm going to pay this one off on this and this. Yeah. When you get your whole salary in a month, it's like, okay, let me hit all this stuff off right off the top. Here's your money. Here's your yeah. money. Here's and your then money. You see exactly what you have left from your pay. Right. And so part of what I hit off right off the top was I sent my money back to the U.S. And in Qatar, it costs nothing to send my money back home. So okay. right off the top, here's a thousand dollars. It was going back to the U.S. This much stayed in my account. This much I knew I was going to put towards where I was going next, you know, yeah. like that, that was yeah. kind of my mentality. And so I just made sure that money was in the account. But then I start. I actually, while I was abroad, I also worked with a financial planner who helped me really accountable wow. about like how I was spending my money, what, what I was investing in, what I wasn't investing in. Actually, I literally just called him up a few weeks ago. We just met for the first time last week. Cause I was like, so the Cayman Islands ain't cheap. Right. Um, we need to need to work together again. So we're working together again. And, you know, I can see like, like he, you know, like, I feel like I was like, I know that I spent money on you to tell me things I probably already know already, yeah. but I do much better if I just, if I give you this much every month, mm-hmm. <laughs> I actually see yields of thousands of dollars myself. Wow. So, wow. That was also something that was helpful along that journey is having somebody to talk through where I was struggling and who understood. Like I even told him, I said, the last time we talked, I said, I know I sound like I'm making up excuses, but this is my reality that I'm living. In. Right. And so he's like, okay, well, you know, and followed up with an email here, you're to do before the next time we meet. And what mm-hmm. I hate more than anything is showing up to a meeting and be, somebody being like, did you work on what you were supposed to? And I have to completely say no. Now I'm okay if I didn't do everything on your list. Okay. Right, right. Okay. I got this. this. Yeah, Let me I get show you that where one. I did shine though. Yeah, <laughs> yes. But I'm not going to come to no meeting with nobody and, and didn't do nothing. Like yeah. we're meeting and I've done zero things. No. Right. So. Wait, I'm wasting my money and I'm wasting your time. Yeah. So that was also another thing in there that was helpful. Okay. So this has been such an interview. Thank you so much. Like you are so easy to talk to. Everything makes sense. Where can the people find you? Because I know that you do offer services in terms of helping people achieve the goals that they have in terms of teaching abroad and making the most of their teaching abroad experience. So where can we find you? What do you specialize in? What do you have coming soon so that the people know? Because travel is so much more than vacation as we have spent the last of this conversation discussing, and it's been a great discussion at that. So thank you again, Adrian, but where can we find you and what do you specialize in? So that after all these, after all this conversation, when the people hit you up, what are we, what are we really asking you? 
Yeah, so the best way to find me is on my website, which is in the middle of a revamp. So I'm really excited, y'all. It's coming soon. So worldwideeducator.org. So um, you can find me on Instagram where there's quite a bit of content as well. And particularly if you're um, international, you're interested in international education, there's quite a few guides that you can get that'll help you through that process, telling you about schools. And that's at Worldwide Educator um, on Instagram. And then I'm on Twitter, but not really, you know, kind of like fake Twitter. Um, I'm on Facebook, but not really like those are the best two. And LinkedIn, a lot of people will contact me on LinkedIn, Mm -hmm. Adrian Waller on LinkedIn. And then some of the things that I do to support people, some of it is with people who want to go international and walking you through and guiding you through what does that look like? Who are the recruiters? What are the real recruiters that are going to really help you and which ones might be good to have on there because they don't cost no money, but maybe aren't going to be, you know, helping you that much. I talk to people all through that, how to prepare for a job fair, what their resume needs to look like. So I do resume coaching, interview coaching, but I had a couple of people who were like, this was a great experience. Will you help my friend in this industry? And at first I was like, yeah, I'm a teacher. I just know that But what I learned is I'm a good teacher. And so like Mm. teaching you how to do your resume, teaching you how to interview has helped people in a multitude of industries. So I've helped people from engineering to cybersecurity to marketing because it's really about how do you present yourself in the interview and that. So those are some of the key things, but there's a few other courses and things that I'm going to be offering that are coming down the pipeline. So stay, keep following me. And one that I really enjoy is if you get on my mailing list, I host these things called co-working sessions where for two hours I open a zoom and it's people from all over the world getting on, just getting stuff done. And like the amount of positive feedback I've gotten from people about being a part of that experience has been really, really I've loved it. So, so in terms of who the perfect person to work with you is, is this someone that is already an accredited teacher or is this someone that is looking to like for myself, like if I'm like, Oh wow, this really sounds like a great opportunity, but that ain't what my degree is in. What, who is the perfect candidate for you? Like who should um, realistically expect to be best served? Best served would definitely be somebody who's a certified teacher, but I've worked with people who aren't, you know, who are like, Hey, I'm interested in like, they're like, but I think I might want to do teaching, teaching. And so like, Mm -hmm. I've sent people different university things that they can look into. Like, here's some tracks in universities that, you know, are affordable that you might want to do. Here's something in between a TOEFL that they're offering for $20 that you can do that'll make you competitive. So I'll help even with that. But like, I mean, who I am at my core is a certified teacher. And so certified teachers, I really, really help. Um, but I've helped others like just along that journey who are like, I'm not certified, but I'm interested. Cause there are some countries that don't care about that, like, right. you know, or have their own programs like Japan, they will get you on track. Um, Italy will get you on track. So there's, there's there all options. these different things. Yeah. So like, if you're just thinking, I want to go abroad and teach and you know, that's what you want to do. Let's, let's chat. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. And that is the perfect conclusion to this incredible conversation. Adrian, again, thank you so much. Travelers, the information is here. Please reach out. Obviously, information in the description box. Um, Adrian's link for her website will be there. And um, hopefully, she'll be able to help you or you'll be able to help you after this conversation and figure out where it is you want to be. All right, y'all. So, fuck with y'all next week. Bye.